somebody who feels shame may not appear the way you think they would. Many, many, many people who are highly successful, highly intellectual, highly capable, are often driven by a fear of humiliation and shame. It makes sense, right? That we might close the door when we're really young, tell ourselves, I never want to feel this way again, and then start the engine in our life and say, I'm going to do everything possible in my life to never feel this way again. Welcome to the Dignity of Suffering. Have you ever been brought to your knees by the challenges of life? What if you could enter the world of the therapist, be a fly on the wall, and hear their stories and insights into life's biggest challenges? Discovering a place to learn from the experiences of others who've tried to find dignity in their suffering. Each week, Mitchell Smolkin takes a candid look at the trials and tribulations of being alive. Mitchell is a registered psychotherapist, author and speaker. He hopes to show that slowing down and becoming curious about our human experience can enrich our perspectives and plant our feet more firmly on the ground. Now, here's Mitchell. Welcome to episode 30. This is the third in a series of podcasts that I have been recording on the subject of shame. And I think it's a really important area of investigation because, as the neurologist Stephen Porges pointed out, these strong emotions that human beings contain drive our actions, our thoughts, our behaviors, our decision-making. And there was a huge shift in the classic notion of mind over matter when around the turn of the last century, there really was an emphasis on investigating how emotions influence human beings' behaviors. So thank you for joining me today on this final installment. I hope it offers you something. I think that what I'd like to focus on today, since I've gone into the elements of shame and what it what it looks like is perhaps to give some insights from my clinical practice on how shame can be addressed. I'm reminded in thinking about this of the late Jack Panksepp, who wrote a seminal book called The Archaeology of Mind. And Jack was once quoted as saying that he could not develop any pharmaceutical solutions for depression and other forms of mental illness that could replicate human connection. He could never synthetically create a solution that is as powerful as the way that another human being can affect you. And of course, he was referring to that in the positive sense, as in the comfort and solace and soothing that we receive when things go well in human interactions. And that is a 
segue to basically articulate that what inevitably helps soothe views of self that are based in shame, such as I am not deserving of affection or comfort, love, validation. Well, in simple terms, is the opposite. If a human being can allow in a view of themselves that can temper or begin to shift some of these hard and deeply established negative views of self, that can start to create change. Now, of course, if it was that easy, if it was that easy to simply hear that we are different than what we believe, well, then we would just have a very quick mechanism to fix (laughs) some of these more intransigent emotional states. So obviously it's not as simple as just hearing this. I guess to open up with you and sort of give you some insight into what this looks like in my office, and and often this happens in couples therapy, because in couples therapy, we can leverage the affection and desire that someone has for the other to get into some of these more uh, difficult emotional places that people guard. The process in individual therapy is somewhat different. There needs to be a very strong alliance, and the relationship that a therapist has to their patient or client obviously has different psychodynamics and emotional reverberations than uh, a couple. An example from my office today in one of my meetings uh, had to do with the beginnings of somebody actually just letting themselves cry, which for many people can be quite a tall order. One example had to do with the quick ways that we come in to interrupt some of these more natural expressions and the embodiment of how we feel. The reason that we talk so much about safe containers or good enough parenting or optimal frustration, that's Heinz Kohut's term, which has to do with really creating the conditions that allow for enough frustration that challenge someone but does not create such harsh negative associations to who they are is because when the body wants to go into feeling sad, there needs to be enough of a positive association with that individual So they are worthy of having that emotion and also nothing, no harm is going to come to them in the process of crying. Shame is quite relevant here because if, to use the classic example, somebody is uh, shamed for being vulnerable, 
then there's a double negative there. Not only are these feeling states difficult, but no wonder when we're already in a very difficult place, which can evoke a sense of loneliness and exposure. And then somebody right in that moment when we're exposed shames us that we tend to close the door and sometimes throw away the key. So in a present tense context, to go back to this idea that it's not so simple to just tell somebody that they're worthwhile or they have value, basically what it means is that you have to cross a bridge that has a lot of dragons on it. (laughs) And the dragons are all of the stories that the person has integrated into their being. And, you know, somebody who feels shame may not appear the way you think they would. Many, many, many people who are highly successful, highly intellectual, highly capable, are often driven by a fear of humiliation and shame. It makes sense, right, that we might close the door when we're really young, tell ourselves, I never want to feel this way again, and then start the engine in our life and say, I'm going to do everything possible in my life to never feel this way again. And to a large extent, actually, this can be very successful. It can breed careers, families, money a sense of drivenness. The issue arises usually, and this goes back to the the cliche of the midlife crisis, where we hit moments in our life when our old strategies start to fail us, whether it is things like retirement or losing a job or our relationship struggles or our child provokes us in a particular way that we don't know how to deal with. And then all of a sudden we are consumed by and overwhelmed by emotions that have have been under lock and key for many, many years. And it feels violent because we feel like all of our efforts to maintain control have been ripped away from us. And something from the outside has impinged upon our own methodology and conscious desire to feel well and to get rid of our shame. So all of this, all all of these dragons are on this bridge. All of these parts of us that have been keeping us safe, to go back to that adage that the, the treasure is where the dragon is, are going to protest. In fact, the veil that somebody might have around their personality, which was neatly and purposely constructed, uh, will reject somebody coming in and pointing to certain emotions that one has successfully evacuated. But of course, we can see the effects of unrepresented emotion, whether in language or symbol, in the body, in symptom, in high blood pressure, in gastrointestinal issues, certain behaviors, right? Certain ways that we might keep our lives organized. 
And so all of this, when you're in the healing process, all of this is at play. So understandably, when you start to pass by somebody, a comforting voice, a soothing comment, there is a very interesting thing that can happen. Essentially, this is what somebody longs for, to hear these words, but it is also their worst nightmare because if these words are to get through, then it's going to open up Pandora's box to all the grief that has been kept at bay. And so it creates tremendous tension. In emotion-focused therapy, there's this idea that the fear is where the longing is. So one might have a secret wish to finally feel like they matter, but that also brings back all of the memories that had to be put away in order to survive. And it's important to clarify that this isn't like a switch going off. And nor is it some wild goose chase to never feel ashamed or to feel better. That's not how we heal. Things happen in all kinds of different ways and at all kinds of different pace. So one example of healing from shame may simply be the ability to tolerate a degree of one's own shame and grief and physical discomfort and to feel a positive association to that. So instead of feeling like one is going to hyperventilate or one has a huge bout of nausea or often people will will want to fall asleep or somebody will get angry <laughs> Instead of these kinds of very difficult physiological responses, one can stay with a feeling of vulnerability and grief associated with shame and breathe, or feel validated, or not lose connection with themselves and another person. If you think about it quite simply, this is. This is the beginning of real relationship. And I think we know when we feel this way. It's about connection. And I think it doesn't just have to happen, obviously, in a therapist's office. I think that, that deep friendships and deep relationships can be very healing. But it's no wonder, and this is very important, because I think that privately we all feel a lot of these things, but in public, often there's the expectation that our relationships go well, or that friendships are just good, <laughs> you know, that why should friendships go through tumultuous times? I think relationships and friendships and other interpersonal points of our life, it makes sense that they go through revolutions of 
understanding and confusion and then get repaired again and become stronger. My hope is that that happens because it means that that we're being affected and and that someone is challenging us in a way to whether it's open up more whether it's reflect on who we are and frankly I think that's what intimacy is there's a lot of disappointment in us as someone said to me today when you're already in the latter stages of your life and you open yourself up to very primitive emotional states, there can be a huge disconnect and a huge feeling of humiliation because so much of our life is spent just trying to put one foot in front of the other. And it can feel quite regressive to all of a sudden find oneself in a feeling state where they are experiencing emotions from many years ago. So that has to be a factor too when we think about what heals. Can we validate? Can we validate the parts of us that have been keeping ourselves safe before we jump in and demand progress or demand that we fix something? Can we at least take the time, even if the emotion is shame, and look back and say, yeah, you know, I didn't open myself up for years to people because it would have been too much and I would have not have known what to do. And I think a lot of people feel that way. And I actually think that it can be quite successful if we build various kinds of personae and so that we can navigate our lives and the workplace and our home life and the relationship with our children. And really, at the end of the day, if we're going to start to ana analyze and scrutinize our behavior and, and ways that we have protected ourselves, we should do it from a place of kindness, understanding, and empathy as much as we can. Because I think that's the only way that these strong protectors will ever loosen their grip and allow for deeper reflection and connection. So thanks for listening today to some of my musings around the landscape of healing uh, from shame and these kinds of injuries. Don't be disheartened if, if when you make the decision or you find yourself exposed that you start to feel different and either softer or, as many people talk about, they have anxiety for the first time in their life because they've been working so hard to keep those things at bay. And so unfortunately, as is the case, we must go through. There's no real way to circumvent or shortcut the strong emotions that one has been keeping hidden. And it's important. It's important because as we get older, we lose our cognitive capacities. And when we don't have a choice anymore, certain memories and emotions can come out that will at this point not really have a container. And that I think we can see as people become embittered as they get older, people lose their memory. We can see all the ways the human being protects themselves from overwhelming pain. And so it's much better, I think, to at least develop 
a sense of curiosity while one can and willingly put oneself into a place of uh, discomfort. Anyway, I always appreciate your listenership and attention and feedback. Would love to hear your feedback on this series. You can write to me, info at mitchellsmolkin.com. You can find me on Instagram at IamMitchellSmolkin. Please rate the podcast, share it wherever you write about things that you love. If you do find this valuable, it is very helpful. Until next time.